Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, It's great to be back each week with new insights and inspiration. I've been really looking forward to my interview today uh, with an amazing human, someone who actually has has inspired me for I would say over 20 years in different ways, uh, his work, his his books have been a real inspiration, pivotal part of my growth journey starting 20 years ago. Uh, I read um, Conscious Loving, uh, must be 15, 2004, 2002, in that zone, and revolutionary, changed my life, folks. If there's one book you read on relationship, like ever, I think this is the classic of all classics. It's powerful, Uh, but he has a new book out that I'm really excited to explore and delve into called The Genius Zone, The Breakthrough Process to End Negative Thinking and Live in True Creativity. He's been a leader in the field of relationship transformation, body-mind therapies for over 45 years, author of 40 books, maybe more, at the time of this conversation, welcome to Soul Talk, the amazing Gay Hendricks. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. It's great to be here and looking forward to it very much. To me, you're a legend in my eyes. So honestly, it's a privilege. It's an honor. Uh, folks like me really uh, stand on your shoulders and have so much to be grateful for you. You're, you've, you've pioneered so much for the younger generation. So I just really feel the, the need to just honor you and thank you for just the work you've done, been doing for 45 years that have made it accessible to the younger generation. So just a big thanks. I've always wanted to say that to you mm. and uh, just express my appreciation. So that's how Well, thank to. you. I appreciate that so much. And same to you. I appreciate you for taking the wisdom that's been passed down from other people and and turning it into gold for your audience, too. So uh, blessings upon you for continuing the conversation. Thank you. Doing my best, Gay, doing my best. Yeah, I want to just dive in. I have questions I want to ask you. Um, Genius. I want to just dive into genius. Um, And obviously, through the conversation, we'll find out about your life and explore. But genius is an interesting word. Um, There's some folks that might be listening, wondering, I'm not a genius. What do you mean genius? I'm not a genius. I mean, Einstein's a genius, you know. Uh, uh, that person's a genius. Maybe Gay's a genius, written 40 books, but I, I'm just I'm just a regular person. I, I can't be thinking about genius. And so what do you mean, just so we can start the conversation, by genius? And does everyone have – can everyone tap into that? Can everyone be that? Or is it just – or some people were just born that way. Because it seems like some people were just, they're brilliant. They're born that way. They come, you know, they come in a prodigies. Is it prodigies? Uh, they come in prodigies, like yes. I'm getting my words mixed up. They're just gifted, you know, they just, they just have it. And so what is genius and is it accessible to us all? Yes. Well, genius, the way I look at it, is not something that's just relegated to the precious few like Einstein or someone like that. And I do truly believe and have got lots of evidence for the fact that human beings have natural organic genius to them. It doesn't matter if you're a physicist or a a person who makes soup. It's all the same process of tapping into the way I look at genius is it's you're doing what you most love to do while you're also making your biggest contribution to the world around you. To me, that is the sweet spot of genius. 
when you can tap into your unique abilities and bring them out in a way that they move other people to lead better lives or to help other people lead their lives. That to me is true genius. There are some people, you know, there's the great Michelangelo's or the, you know, Madame Curie's of the world that have uh, something born with them, perhaps. But most of us, I certainly am not like that. And most of us aren't either. Um, It's kind of like, to me, it's like discovering your heartbeat. Like some people walk around, they're not even aware of their heartbeat, maybe. But then one day you something happens and you tune in and say, oh, okay, that's the beating of my heart. That's the way we discover genius is by these little moves where we tune into something that we weren't paying attention to before. So right now, for example, everybody that's listening to this or watching this is going to be um, probably the kind of person because you listen to these kind of podcasts, you're interested in making changes in your lives, or maybe you're in the professional business of helping other people change their lives. The thing to know about that is that that intention itself is part of your genius. Just having that intention to make your own life better and to a commitment to making other people's lives better That's, to me, a genius-level intention, and I want to celebrate that first of all. To me, human beings spend way too much time of our time focusing on what we haven't accomplished or what we have missed out on or what we haven't done yet or how far we are from our ideals. So we put a lot of thought into that, unfortunately. Part of the new book is how to turn off that kind of negative thinking. We can talk about that in a minute. But mm-hmm. just in general, human beings have too much of a tendency to focus on what we haven't got rather than to celebrate what we've already achieved and what we've already done. And the reason that's so important, it's not just about feeling good, although it feels good to celebrate who you are and what you've done, but almost as importantly, appreciation and celebration of what you've done so far is a launch pad to the next level of whatever you want to manifest. So I don't think success is paved with sweat. Sometimes, you know, you have to work hard, focus and everything like that. But for the most part, human beings put far too much effort into the act of owning their true potential. What we need to do is start inside and remove the inner barriers to the expression of our genius. It really is an inside-out job. Um, I can help you discover your genius, but ultimately you are the one that has to go in there and say, hmm, what is my true genius? What is my true creativity? In the book, I make a distinction between ordinary creativity and true creativity. Mm-hmm. Ordinary creativity is when you're using your creativity for somebody else. You're using it, you're working in a job and you're using your creativity to help somebody else make money or produce a product. True creativity, in my view, is when you are in touch with your own sacred inner unique abilities and you're also in touch with that in such a way that it changes the lives of other people. To mm-hmm. me, that is life as it's at its absolute best. I've been privileged to live on a steady diet of miracles for the past 40 or 50 years because I get to work with people making big leaps. You know, my other book is called The Big Leap. And so for the last 40 years, I've been helping people make big leaps in their lives. And everything from, I started out working with juvenile delinquents whose big leap might be to convince a judge that they shouldn't go to jail, you know, so that's a pretty big leap. Uh, But, uh, and now I work with, you know, lots more people that are CEOs or movie stars or people like that who have a lot of potential. But I'll tell you, everybody's the same in a way that we all, no matter whether you're getting your handprints on Hollywood Boulevard as as a movie star or getting out of jail as a juvenile delinquent, what's going on there is you're in the process of uncovering the barriers to you expressing your full potential. Uh, In the book that preceded uh, The Genius Zone, The Genius Zone is a sequel to my book, uh, The Big Leap. And uh, The Big Leap is really about two things, if if people haven't read it. 
It's about how to deal with what I call your upper limit problem, which is the tendency to sabotage yourself when you when things start going better. And uh, there's a bunch of things I want to say about that. But so the, yeah. the, the first big thing in the big leap is about how to deal with your upper limit problem. The second big thing is about how to uncover your genius zone, how to find out what that unique ability is. Yes. And I'll give you a $25,000 gift here <laughs> to all of your listeners. Um, we have a program where corporations send us their CEO for a day and it's a full day. There's nobody else here. We just work with that person from whenever they get here to whenever they drop. <laughs> and usually from say 8.30 to six o'clock. But the first thing they do is they go in a room by themselves for 10 minutes and, and there's nothing in the room. There's not even a picture on the wall. And they go in there and they simply do two things. They ask themselves a wonder question. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. A wonder question is a question you really want to know the answer to and you really don't know. So that's the sweet spot of a wonder question. And it opens up powerful, creative access to the universe. Because you, if you can stand in the presence of something you really would love to know and honestly admit that you don't know how to do it, you are open to the most beautiful thing in the universe I call pure consciousness, which is having a direct relationship with the creative essence and source of the universe. And so we asked them to go in and use a particular wonder question for 10 minutes at first. We asked them to say, hmm, what do I most love to do? Hmm. What do I most love to do? And we asked them to take three easy breaths between asking themselves the question. And that takes about 30 seconds to take three easy breaths. So they ask themselves the question and then they pause for three easy breaths while they're just listening and feeling. And then they ask the question again. Hmm. We ask them to do it with a hmm, because that signifies wonder. And also when you hum, it integrates the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. And so it puts you into a state of unity to say, hmm, what do I most love to do? And during that 10 minutes, people ask that over and over again, and then take those three easy breaths. And I'll tell you, sometimes it's a flat out miracle that happens during 10 minutes that wow. they'll come, they'll come out. Uh, so uh, they're, they're paying $25,000 for this day. Okay. And some people come out at the end of 10 minutes and they say, I got my money's worth. And because of what's happened is they've never spent 10 minutes in their lives purely inquiring into their genius, purely standing as an open space of inquiry into what is my true genius. Mm -hmm. And it is so amazing to see the look on people's faces when they come out of there. Sometimes they look reborn. And so you can do this at home and just send me the $25,000, by the way. You can find my address on the website. And uh, if you get as high off of it as my uh, executives, be sure to uh, send along a tip. Um, so the key thing about that is that human beings in general spend so much of our time focusing on what we aren't and what we haven't got that we don't focus on who we truly are and what we can bring to the world. As a matter of fact, I've been around the world now, I think um, the equivalent of 33 or 34 times, my wife and I teaching conscious loving seminars and big leap seminars and that kind of thing. And I've been in many, many different countries of the world, all I think just about every continent. And I haven't found anybody yet that wasn't operating out of an upper limit. In other words, we've all got room to grow and we all have a problem with this upper limit problem that I'm talking about. Can, you just, problem, can, can you just share what, so what upper limit is so people yes, are clear? Yes, exactly. An upper limit is when you're going along, maybe you have a good day at work and things are humming really good. And then you go home that night and start a monster argument with your family. I've heard hundreds of versions of that story or the other way around. Things are really going great in your life. You're feeling good. And then there's 
a mess up at work that knocks all the good feeling out of you. The upper limit problem is really caused by three or four limiting beliefs, Coot. Mm. One of them is, I don't deserve the good things of the world. It's like I'm fundamentally flawed in some way that means I don't deserve love, or I don't deserve to be successful, or I don't deserve to be uh, a thought leader in the world, or whatever your particular goal is. It's an upper limit because somebody installed that on you. You didn't make that up yourself. Those things get installed in us usually before we walk into kindergarten. And if you look back through your life, you can usually see where you might have got one of these uh, limiting beliefs. So one of the biggest, perhaps the biggest is, I'm fundamentally flawed. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve the good things of life. So that's number one. Number two is a lot of us have an upper limit problem caused, caused by the limiting belief that says, I must not ever outshine other people. I shouldn't shine too much for fear I will outshine others and make them feel bad. And so that's something that often gets installed in the heads of talented and gifted children, like we've all grown up to be. That often, you may have gotten this message I did. Um, I grew up in a hick town of 10,000 people in the swamplands of Central Florida, where from the time I was in the first grade to the, uh, to the time I graduated from high school, I was the smart kid in the classroom. And so I was always, the, and there wasn't much competition either. Uh, so uh, I was always being told to, you know, let the other kids answer the question. Don't keep waving. You know, the teacher came over one time when I was in second grade and said, you don't need to keep waving your hand at me. I get that you know the answer, but we need to let the other kids have an answer too. And so that's that tone it down. Don't shine too brightly. Don't shine your light too much. And so that's one of the other limiting beliefs. A third one, Coot, is that many people have the belief that if they are more successful, it will bring them more burden, that they've experienced a certain amount of burden with their success. Maybe it's come along with some relationship pain, or it's come along with some you know, difficulties of various kind that come with success. And they've shut down and said, I don't want to be any more successful because that'll just make my life more burdened. And there's, you know, there's a reality that in a certain way, but the main part of it that's troublesome is the fact that it doesn't require burden. That if you open up to your genius you can find a way to get your work done without it accruing stress in your body. Because the more you can do what you most love to do, the less stress you create around your life and around uh, your work. And particularly, I've found that people's relationships go a lot better at home as well as at work as they begin to express their genius. Now, there's two ways to go about this. One is incrementally. And that's what I recommend at start. You know, like I said, we start people here with 10 minutes because, you know, we used to have people do that for 20 minutes, but they, you know, it would unsettle them too much. So we scaled it down to 10 minutes. Um, but most people haven't even had 10 minutes in their entire life of asking wow. about what their genius is. So you can do it incrementally by beginning to add more of your genius activities to what you're already doing. That's a good way to start because that way you don't have to chuck your whole life out the window and start anew. But there is a certain value for certain kinds of people. I get email from all from people all the time that said they did chuck it all and took a big leap into a whole new area. Like I was on this week, an interview with a guy on a radio show that did that. He chucked his uh, accounting kind of thing and went into uh, being a broadcaster and he's made it work. You know, he's making more money than he did as an accountant. And I was on with an Australian uh, show yesterday with a dentist who, uh, in addition to his dentistry, started a podcast. And it's one of the most popular ones in uh, Australia now. And so people sometimes are inventing themselves from whole new places. Um, if someone uh, says, um, 
Because I've heard people say, I, I, I'm not good at anything. I, I don't have a genius. I, 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 yes, I can do this, I can do that, but it, it, it's not, nothing is my genius. What, what, what do we say to those folks? Absolutely. Well, one thing is that I invite people to go back to the very beginnings of their life and ask themselves questions like, what did I most love doing before I went to kindergarten or first grade? Or what, what kind of play did I engage in that I lost track of time doing? That's one of the keys to genius, by the way, is finding out what you do that you enjoy it or love it so much that you lose track of time. I don't know if you ever had the experience when you were a kid, but I can remember many times my mother was a single parent. And so she was always in a big hurry. And uh, when she called out the back door, time to come for dinner, she didn't want to have to do that twice. If she had to do that twice, I would sometimes get my fanny whacked uh, because she didn't want to have to say uh, that twice. So I learned to jump up and go have dinner. But sometimes when I'd hear that voice, when she'd say, come in for dinner, it would be like, oh, where was I? You know, because I was so into what I was mm-hmm. doing that uh, it, it was a surprise. I'd lost track of time. I didn't, I'd forgotten that I was hungry. I'd forgotten that it was at six o'clock. And so go back and look for what some of those things were, because they will give you a direct insight into what your genius is today. Got it. Now, you mentioned doing what you most love to do. Um, I know there's some folks that might feel, but I'm doing what I love to do, Gabe, but I'm broke. You know, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing what I love to do, teaching yoga, do coaching this, that, helping people. You can't freaking make money at that. I'm not, or, 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 I, I, they're not making money. And, and they want to, but it, it's not flowing. And so h- how, does, how do the two go together where if someone says, you know, I love people, or I love yoga, or I love coaching, or I love, how, how can they also create a sustainable living doing what they love? Yes. Well, it lies in the area of overcoming limiting beliefs again, because if you're doing what you most love to do, but you're broke or not making money at it, then shift in there and work on the limiting belief that says, I can do what I love to do, but I must be poor while I'm doing it. A lot of people think that if they do what they love to do, it shouldn't make money for them. They have a limiting belief about that. And I want to challenge that because, see, I don't care whether you want to live on $1,000 a month or $20,000 a month or $200,000 a month. It doesn't matter as long as you feel fulfilled. So if you're doing what you most love to do and it's working for you, great. But here's where most people get off track is most people who have a lot of compassion, like your your audience does, you, you want to reach out and help people. A lot of those same kind of folks have been programmed to believe that they shouldn't be able to be financially abundant while they're doing that. And so I encourage people to go right in and work on that limiting belief and transform it and say, I can do what I most love to do and be financially abundant doing it. Work on that, putting that new idea into place and watch what happens as a result of that. Because in a way, I don't know if you found this to be true, but if you if you ask the right question, the universe always says yes. A lot of times, though, we go about asking the right question the wrong way. Wrong we say, uh, you know, like we have come at it from a sense of entitlement, like I'm doing what I most love to do. Why can't I make any money at that? You know, and that's that kind of attitude, that kind of attitude that I ought to be somewhere other than I am is a real troublesome attitude. I think what we need to do is think of the universe as being like a cosmic waiter or waitress, that it comes to us all the time, 24 hours a day, and asks us what we want. And if we can tell it clearly, boom. But if we put some sort of attitude on it, it's just like if the 
waiter comes over at the uh, breakfast restaurant and says, hi, what would you like? And you say, well, I'd like some blueberry pancakes. What do you think? You know, if you ask it with that kind of <laughs> attitude, you're probably not going to get as good a result, and, yeah. uh, or at least you're not going to enjoy it as much. So, but if you tell the universe clearly what it is you want, uh, one of my favorite quotations, bizarrely enough, is from Franz Kafka. He said that, that if you become very still and ordinary, if you just kind of stay inside yourself, it's, he says, the universe will roll in ecstasy at your feet. I just love that because in a way that's so true. A lot of times we kind of go out and are, are trying to force the universe into doing our bidding. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't work that way. We have to be in this place of openness and allowing. Mm-hmm. You see, one of the things about my work is it's a lot about opening up your ability to receive more mm-hmm. without putting limitations on it. People that have upper limit problems have a limitation about what the universe can do for them. And so I want to help people remove those limitations so that they can have a direct relationship with the creative essence of the universe so that it can manifest their desires without stress. You might have to put in time, focus, that kind of thing, but there's no law that says you have to stress about all of this. I remember when I was a kid, I was eight years younger than my brother, and he was in high school, and he would be doing high school math like trigonometry. And I'd walk past the sit, the chair he was sitting in, and he'd have this big frown on his face and, you know, kind of have his, and while he was working on the <laughs> trigonometry. When I got to trigonometry, I realized it did not require any kind of muscular strength in your forehead. You didn't have to bunch up your forehead to do <laughs> trigonometry. You just kind of did it, you know, and you didn't have to bring the whole attitude to it. I think he was uh, trying to impress people that it was hard work or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, um, but most of the things of life, you know, you can go out and take a shovel and dig a hole in your in the ground. And if you're doing it for one person, it, well, Here's a story to illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, Way back in the Middle Ages, there was a traveler traveling along on horseback, and he came to a place where there were a whole bunch of uh, people taking rocks from down by a river and carrying them up a steep hill to the top of the hill, and he couldn't see what was going on up there. But there was this long line of people carrying these heavy rocks up a hill, and he he saw that some of the people had a smile on their face and some of them were kind of groaning and swearing. And uh, and so he asked one of the people that had the groan, what are you doing? And the guy said, can't you see I'm carrying rocks up a hill for a dime a day or whatever it was. And he asked one of the people with the smile on their face, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. That's what's up at the top of the hill, you know, because that was what was motivating that person was the desire to create this place of beauty, a place of spirit. The other person didn't have that. That was just carrying a rock for them. And that comes from a place of commitment, I think. And that's why one of the best things I ever did way back before I wrote The Big Leap and all that, I made a commitment. And the commitment went something like this. You're you're welcome to uh, share it if you like it. The commitment was, I commit to bringing forth more of my genius every day. I commit to bringing forth more of my genius every day. I didn't know what it looked like, you know, how could I know, you know, because you don't know, but you make a commitment to it and then watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the big things in life that make it, that require a commitment, you don't get to know the answer before you make the commitment. You don't get to find out if you're going to have a happy marriage until you say, I do. <laughs> and, uh, I've been happily married now for uh, 40. Uh, we're just about to have our 40th wedding anniversary. So I've been together Amazing. with Katie now for 42 magical years. But before her, I created any number of relationship disasters <laughs> in my teens and 20s. Like most of us, I say uh, most of my relationships in my 20s had the uh, trajectory of the Titanic. They would start with <laughs> They would start with great fanfare, but I would hit the iceberg after about six months. And it took me about uh, 
took me through my 20s to realize where the iceberg was located. It wasn't out there. It was in here. And I kept hitting the same iceberg over and over again. Fortunately, when I was in my 30s, I I woke up and I I placed my order with the uh, cosmic waiter or waitress. I said, uh, I want a new kind of relationship, something I've never seen before, something where we both tell the truth to each other and we both take responsibility for things rather than blaming each other. And we're both committed to our creativity. And once I got the order placed, it took me exactly one month to meet the woman of my dreams. So I'm a big believer in using the cosmic waiter and waitress of the universe to just tell it what we're looking for. I love it. Um, Kind of two questions in one, because they may be connected. Uh, You talked about upper limits. Uh, Could you share a bit more about how do we, how can we expand our capacity to receive? I really love this idea that it's not just about grinding and suffering and struggling. It's just, it's about the allowing, you know? I think that's a whole new way of uh, creating in life, the allowing and the receiving. And so um, how to do that, how to bring oneself more into that receptive capacity, availability, and if there's a belief around that, that, that we may need to shift, how does one actually shift a belief? Mm-hmm. So, so, so Because I know that there's some folks that might be like, well, okay, I understand that this is a limiting belief, but I still believe it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, and I don't believe the positive, the expansive belief. I, I get it. I, I need to get rid of it, but it's still there. And so kind of like two questions in one combined. One thing is that fear is underneath the upper limit problem. All upper limit problems have fear at their basis. And what happens is that things start going better in your life and it awakens a fear down in there. Do I deserve this? For example, I'm afraid I don't deserve this, or I'm afraid it'll be a burden, or I'm afraid my success will make me disloyal to people in my past. That's another popular one that a lot of, a lot of us keep ourselves limited because you know, we, don't, we don't want to upset the people in our past by thinking too differently than they do and that kind of thing. So um, it's all based on fear, though. So you have to get a friendlier relationship with fear to really um, get established in your genius zone. And in the book, Uh, I put a big emphasis on breathing because when fear is in your system, taking some easy deep breaths is one of the best things you can do. It only takes three or four easy deep breaths to start changing the stress chemistry in your body. And and it's an amazing thing. Um, You you can't just go, (laughs) you got to take three easy breaths, like 10 second long breaths, and that will begin to melt down the stress chemistry in your body. But uh, the reason we emphasize fear so much is because, uh, as one of my mentors says, uh, fear is excitement without the breath. So the same mechanism that runs excitement in our bodies runs fear if we get clutched up and (gasps) forget to breathe, if we (gasps) get clutched up around our fear and don't participate. Here we say peace of mind can only come through total participation. If you're not willing to participate with your feelings, for example, if if you're trying to keep your anger at bay or you're trying to conceal your sadness or you're trying to conceal your fear, that makes it worse because, you know, like the old saying goes, what you resist runs you. That if you're resistant to your anger, your anger is going to keep showing up in your life. And if you're resistant to owning grief about something, well, you're going to keep drawing more and more situations to you that have that depressed, low mood quality to it. And so the important thing to do is to get a friendlier relationship with fear, because here's how you change your belief. You have to acknowledge the old limiting belief and become aware of that and accept and love yourself for having that limiting belief. That releases the, you from the bondage of it. The moment you love it as it is. Ah, okay, I'm scared of outshining other people. Okay, ah, or, 
oh, I'm scared there's something fundamentally flawed about me. Ah, you know, the moment we acknowledge those things, they lose their power over us. Uh, I have a friend that I see all the time um, who has got about 20, I believe now, years of sobriety. But before that, he was pretty much a blackout drunk for 20 years and uh, ate up a lot of his life and a couple of marriages that way. But he says there was this one magic day 20 years ago where he stood up in front of a room and he said, hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. What was so liberating about that day was that he called it as it was. He just owned it. He wasn't saying like he'd said a thousand times before. People would say, you know, hey, John, you got a drinking problem. And he would say, I can handle it. You know, his his pride was such, and, you know, they talk about alcoholism being a disease of pride and self-referentiality all the time. And But he was so caught up in the image of himself not being an alcoholic, being able to handle it, that he couldn't handle it. And so there was this moment where he just stood up and said, okay, I can't handle it. That's me. And I make a commitment to not taking a drink this day. And that's what it started, you know, with now 20 years later. He's built this, you know, as a multimillionaire and has this magnificent dream home and all of those kinds of things that would not have happened in a million years had he not owned the power of that. And so that to me is an example of how you change a belief is you, you own it, you acknowledge it, you love it as it is, you acknowledge that it's had its grip on you, you quit pretending, mm -hmm. and then you just say, okay, I can love myself anyway, even if I have that limiting belief. And at that moment, it becomes possible to put in a new belief, which is, okay, maybe I do deserve the good things of this world. Maybe I'm not fundamentally flawed. Nobody's fundamentally flawed, by the way, Coot. Nobody's, mm -hmm. Nobody got cursed. It's just uh, with anything. It's just that um, it's all programming. You know, one person gets programmed like for example, down in Australia, I was just on an Australian uh, show yesterday, and uh, down there they have something they call the tall poppy syndrome. Right, and right, it's ex right. Yeah, and it's exactly the upper limit problem. It's don't stick your head too far above yeah. the other poppies because right. the farmer will cut your head off. You know, stay <laughs> down in the pack. It's and, similar in, in um, Scandinavia, like Denmark and Stockholm, yeah, uh, Sweden. Sweden particularly, yes. Right. I've... Uh, I've given workshops there. The first word you'll learn is logum, which is that same idea. Don't be too much. Don't be too little. Don't be too fast. Don't be stay right there in the pack. And, um, you know, it, different cultures have different versions of it. But I call it the upper limit problem because it keeps you from expressing your full potential. To me, like I said, I've, I've been around in different cultures a lot. And one of the things that's striking to me is you know, while I certainly acknowledge that poverty and um, things like that are are real issues and very painful to deal with, I think more it's the lack of the ability to express your potential that causes so much pain on our planet that a lot of people due to the poverty or the situation, the political situation or whatever, have given up in a state of despair that there's not even any dreams possible. And so one thing I would like us all to, to do is to be in the process of always waking ourselves up out of that potential despair that a, a, that a lot of uh, people around the world feel. One of the great things that we have at our ability is the ability to be resilient and reinvent ourselves thousands and thousands of times. And, you know, I had a conversation with a taxi driver the other day that this guy spoke like a guru, you know, uh -huh. and he was just an extremely spiritual guy that happened to grow up in a culture where there was no possibility. So he had escaped over here. In any other culture, he would have probably been sitting on a mountaintop somewhere dispensing information, you know, and I was getting it free in the back of a cab. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. In terms of, so, so acknowledging the belief, breathing into it, embracing it, I, picking a new belief, 
and then acknowledging that, breathing into that. And commitment. That's your next step, is making a commitment to it. That's how to seal a new belief into your being. For example, let's say you want to put the new belief of, I can do what I love to do and make plenty of money doing it. Mm. Let's say that's the new belief. I can do what I most love to do and make plenty of money doing it. I always like to ask the universe, being the cosmic waiter or waitress it is, I like to ask it in the most straightforward way and make a commitment to it in the most straightforward way. So I commit to doing what I most love to do and making plenty of money doing it. Just making a clear, easy, heartfelt commitment to the universe. It's like telling the cosmic waiter or waitress, I'd like blueberry pancakes and I'd like them with two pats of butter, not one, but how about heating up my maple syrup too, you know? So you be very <laughs> clear about what you want. You can probably tell I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm, get, I'm getting hungry. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> what about when, let's say, you know, sometimes we, we, we make a request from the universe, okay? Making a request. And, and we really believe it. Like, okay, making the request that uh, this job, abundance, relationship, like I was, I was doing a podcast yesterday and this woman was just having this exact conversation. It's like, really wants to be in relationship and, and, and believes it, feels it. She's done a lot of inner work, therapies, seminars, reading. I mean, that just, she's done it. And I really got that. She really done the work. She really is self-aware. And she, she just said, and my soulmate is still not here. I, I, what, what am I doing wrong? I, I've asked the universe. I've put it out there. I'm living my life. I'm living my purpose. I'm, I'm fulfilled in my life. But there is a, there is a longing to, 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 to find my, my soulmate man. And, and she said, what do I do? And so she made a request. But how, comes, how comes sometimes we make the request and it doesn't come back? Well, I like to think of ourselves in a cybernetic relationship with the universe, since we're all made of the same thing and everything in the universe is made of the same stuff, that we are all one. And I ask that person, your, your friend, to keep refining the request. Don't let go of what you want. Just keep saying, hmm, okay, hasn't quite worked yet. What do I need to refine about that? Do I need to open up my willingness a little bit more? Do I need to open up my receptivity a little bit more? Because what happens is, is if something doesn't happen right away, Oftentimes, the tendency is to start focusing on that negative thinking about right. what's wrong with right. me, why didn't it happen, all that kind of stuff that's in your uh, mm. zone of negativity up mm. there. And that uh, I th runs away with people a lot of times and causes them to leave the space of openness and willingness that would actually draw it to them. So I just keep expanding into your space of openness and willingness. You know, I, uh, I can't remember if it's in the new book or in the big leap, but um, I had this experience at the Dallas Fort Worth airport that really made a profound impact on me. My, and it has to do with how to manifest what you really want in the world. Okay. My plane was late and I had to change planes. And that's this huge airport where you have to get on a, trolley car and kind of ride around to the other end of the universe and it not the universe <laughs> the airport uh, and, uh, and it can sometimes take literally an hour if you're at one end of the airport to the other anyway that's what happened to me I, my plane was on the other end of the airport and my plane was late so i was rushing along the corridors with my wheelie behind me and kind of feeling stressed out because I really wanted to make the connection to the East Coast. And I had a speech to give in Washington or wherever. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, tight connection. So I looked as I was rushing down there and I saw that the gate had closed, that the airplane had already 
boarded. And I said, oh, (laughs) (laughs) but I I got, I I caught a glimpse of myself in in a glass rushing along and I was kind of looking kind of stressed out. So I realized, oh, wait a minute. (sighs) You know, I just eased off and I took my time down there. And interestingly enough, what happened is I got down to the podium and there was a guy throwing a temper tantrum there and he was saying, my name is Godfrey T. Hudson III, and I have a ticket on this, and I'm in first class, and I cannot, I, you will not treat me this way. And, and the poor clerk was saying, I'm sorry, sir, you were, you were late, um, and uh, we've already closed the, the door, and the plane, you know, is leaving, and, uh, you know, we made all the announcements, and I'm sorry you didn't get here in time, but we'll be happy to book you on another. Anyway, so he was just flipped out, and he, he went up the concourse, kind of shaking his fist and shouting that he was going to sue them for every nickel, you know. And, uh, and so I, I was just watching all of this kind of with a man, you know, uh, like it was a, a movie in front of me. And I stepped up after he left and I said something to the clerk about, wow, one of those kind of days, huh? And the, the clerk looked up the, uh, said, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. And I said, well, I heard your conversation and it looks like uh, I'm not going to get on this plane, but um, I just wanted to see what it was and hear it from you. And just then the door opened, the jet <laughs> opened, and one of the flight attendants came bustling up kind of at a half jog and jogged up to the podium. And I heard her say, we miscounted. We have a seat. And the clerk <laughs> The clerk looked up the concourse at this guy, you know, that was still waiting. <laughs> and she kind of shook her head, you know. Like, and then she said, uh, yes, I'll take your ticket. By the way, Dr. Hendricks, um, the seat is in first class. And it's the only one left. And I said, that's fine. That'll, that'll work just great for me. And uh, so, you know, it's really interesting. I could have stayed in that stressed out posture, but I could see the result of that in that guy, you know, and how unfun that was to be in that. So it was just kind of backing off. Okay, whatever will happen will happen. And I'm going to let go of control over it. Big point, because it's trying to stay in control of stuff that we don't have any control over that makes us miserable in the first place. You know, if I'm trying to control the programming decisions of the United Airline computer, that's a big <laughs> job for a little lonely human being to do, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but the moment I kind of just say, okay, what is, is, what isn't, isn't. And stood in that place of openness, that's the place where real magic can come from, where you can actually affect the seating on a uh, United that's Airlines flight. Amazing. couple more questions. Uh, what advice can you give about dealing with negative thinking so uh, sometimes the negative thoughts can seem uh, as incessant like non-stop and and they just don't stop negative thinking negative thinking negative thinking negative it just doesn't stop and you know you want to stop it but it just doesn't stop and the moment you focus on something else but you come it, it just starts again and so how do you how does someone deal with the negative thoughts they want to stop but they just sometimes it can even seem like an addiction. It just keeps going. And so what is the relationship? What, what to do? Yes. Well, it is an addiction. The thing to do, first of all, is just here's something to find out about yourself. Just check this out. It'll sound kind of maybe crazy, but if you study your thoughts carefully, especially the negative ones, you will notice that negative thinking is caused by trying to control things uh-huh. that you can't control. Right. Because let's say you're try- you're 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 afraid somebody doesn't like you, and so you're thinking, "Oh, why doesn't that person like me?" Or what did I do? And you get involved in all of these different negative thoughts flying back and forth, and. Those are all caused by trying to control something that you have absolutely no control over, whether another person likes you. What you do have control over is you could pick up your phone, call that person and say, hey, do you like me? And, <laughs> you know, that would be fun. We typically don't do that. <laughs> it's interesting because um, I, uh, I mentor 
four or five people a year. And they're usually uh, young entrepreneurs in their 30s or early 40s. That's kind of the sweet spot of when I like to work with people to give them a gigantic big leap. And I've found that so many of the people that I mentor in their 30s and 40s uh, have that very issue that they've been desperately trying to control things that they cannot control. And when they simply shift to letting themselves know that there are some things you can control and some things you can't and focus on these, you know, that is a very magical moment in a lot of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And there's so much tendency in the universe to think of ourselves in a negative light. You know, that, uh, you know, if you threw a pebble into a crowd and hit a person and say, what were you thinking right then? I can almost guarantee you it would not be a flattering thought about mm -hmm. themselves. Because how much time do we actually spend celebrating what we've already accomplished in life? Or for example, just, you know, here's something for you to think about when you wake up, everybody that's listening. This will get your day tomorrow started in the best possible way. Before you get out of bed, celebrate half a dozen things that you genuinely could celebrate. Like start with something simple, like there's 9 million species approximately on this planet. Celebrate that you're the one that can even have a thought about consciousness or um, improving yourself or bringing forth your genius. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing. You know, most, most of the species around here are bugs, and some of them live 13 hours. But here we are. We've got this magnificent 70-, 80-year-old lifespan that we can bring forth our genius in. So that's one thing to celebrate. Celebrate that while you were sleeping, your mind continued to come up with solutions to problems you don't even have. <laughs> it's busily solving all sorts of problems up there. Um, by the way, I had a conversation speaking of what to do with your negative thoughts. Here's a great thing to do with your negative thoughts. I talked to a Tibetan Lama one time and I asked him the same question. You know, what, what do you guys do when you, you know, pissed off about this and that? And, and he said, oh, I, that doesn't bother me. He said, because of richness. And I said, what do you mean by richness? And he said, oh, it's probably the number one concept in my branch of Buddhism. It's, that you have a rich flow of thoughts going through your mind at all times that you're not even having to ask for or work for or do anything for. Your mind is just producing a flow of thoughts, and we call that richness. And I said to him, what you guys are calling richness, us guys are calling driving us crazy. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, yeah, but that's because you're, you're grabbing onto it. Right, he said, right. don't grab onto it. You know, it's like trying to grab hold of a, a river. It's not doing anybody any good. You know, you're not getting a hold of anything and the river is not being influenced by it either. So back off, take three easy breaths. I'm loving it. I'm feeling just, okay, just feeling your energy. I'm just already feeling the sort of expansive uh, 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 frequency of celebrating. It's, it's really uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. How do you... Um, how do you not get bored? How do you, that's not the right way of asking it. How do you stay creatively alive and not get bored? I just, you know, I read for 45 years you've been teaching. That does lend itself to the possibility of doing the same thing, saying the same thing, teaching the same thing, the same curriculum. And so how do you stay like so alive with, because I'm, I'm interviewing you, and I would not guess that you're a guy 45 years into this, the level of aliveness and joy you have sharing your teaching and message is just like you just began. I mean, it's still fresh and alive for you. So what, what is the key to that aliveness uh, and, and creativity and, and not getting bored or stagnant in what you've done or what you know? Part of it, I think, I wrote about this in The Big Leap. I created a chosen life purpose for myself when I was in my 30s, and I have not had a bored day ever since. And the life purpose that I chose for myself, I actually sat down and kind of thought about it for an hour and tried to figure out what is my life really about? And here's what my life is all about. I expand every day in love, abundance, 
creativity and success as I inspire other people to do the same. And as long as I'm getting to do that, however I can do it every day, that's what turns me on. I haven't uh, had a dull moment in the past 50 years or so. And uh, I hope to be doing what I'm doing. You know, like my day goes like this. I sleep from 10 at night till four in the morning. And then I, I wake up and after I meditate and all that, I I write from 5 to 7.30. That's kind of the sweet spot of my creative writing time. Mm. My wife uh, likes to sleep in until 7.30 or 8. And so for the first couple of hours of the day, it's just me and two cats. And it's very quiet here and everything. So that's kind of the sweet spot of when I do my creative writing. Then the rest of the day, I do things like this. And uh, well, uh, in about 15 minutes, I have a mentor uh, session with an amazing young woman entrepreneur that's already created a you know $20 million business by the time she's 40, but she has something that could be a billion dollar business, you know, so I'm, I'm helping her make that big leap. And so, but it's all getting to do what my life purpose has me doing. Mm-hmm. And I do other things too, you know, like I go out and play golf. Um, I uh, live near a world-class golf course here in Ojai. And uh, so you'll find me out there a couple of days a week. Um, and, uh, I'm not a genius golfer, but I like to do things like that just because life itself to me is best regarded as a big moving meditation. You know, that our job is to stay in touch with our genius and to stay open hearted, no matter what's going on in life. And, uh, so I've had the great privilege of being able to do that now for more than half my life and don't have any plans to retire either. (laughs) I hope you don't. Gay, if there were, final question, uh, long or short as you want, if there were three things as you reflect on your entire life and you've shared so much in this conversation, if you were to distill or it could be different, but if there are three things that you would say the most important things you've learned in your life, life lessons, wisdoms, that if you could only pass these three things to the next generation, children, grandchildren, that would evolve the next, like these three things will evolve the consciousness of the next generation the most, your life lessons. What would those three things be? Number one, speak honestly. Number two, take full responsibility for your mm. life as soon as you possibly can. Mm. And number three, love as much as you can from wherever you happen to find yourself. I have not found anything yet that love doesn't help with. The more you're able to love yourself, the more love you're able to let in from outside. The more you're able to love others, the more you're able to love yourself. And so we exist in this cybernetic loop of how much love and positive energy we can give ourselves and also express into the outer world. So tell the truth always and always, take responsibility always, and Always love as much as you can from wherever you happen to be. Beautiful. So powerful, really. I think if we do those three things, that would be very profound, really profound impact in our life. Yeah, I have loved this conversation so much. Thank you for pouring your wisdom, your generosity, your authenticity through this conversation. I know everyone listening in, I'm sure, is inspired. I would love for people to connect with you. Uh, What's the best way people can find you? I know your book out is is out now, The Genius Zone. Everyone, check that out. Also, The Big Leap, if you haven't read that. Amazing book. Um, I know uh, Genius Zone available on Amazon. Uh, but what's the best way people can also connect with you and your work and your website, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, the best place is Hendrix.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. Uh, Hendrix.com, that's kind of the main repository of all our trainings and things like that. And also... Um, the new book has its own website, and if you buy the book through there, you get to download a special 15-minute meditation that I've made in my own voice that I highly recommend that people use. It has beautiful music behind it, and what it does is take you through five of the key affirmations in The Big Leap and the new book, The Genius Zone, uh, and it's a whole different way to get it into yourself. So get the book, but also supplement it with this guided meditation. So go to GeniusZoneBook.com to get that one, GeniusZoneBook.com. GeniusZoneBook.com. We'll put all of the links in the show notes, Gabe. Bless you. 
continue to thrive. Wish you more energy, vibrancy, and aliveness. Your blessing has been a blessing in my life, for sure, in a huge way, more than you know. So thank you. It's an honor to share you with, with my community. Folks, told you this was going to be an amazing conversation. I would love for you to email me, everyone, kooplaxon at kooplaxon.com. Let me know your key takeaways from today's episode. Share this episode with everyone in your life. Review this episode also of Soul Talk. Download it. Share with all. I'll catch you in next week's episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.